Welcome to podcast number 57 on March 30th of 2022. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. I'm the author of four investment books. Today, I'm changing our usual format. No questions will be answered today. Instead, I will be reading all of chapter four of my latest book, American High Dividend Handbook. Chapter 4 describes in detail how the stock score matrix I developed works. It selects stocks for my portfolio and manages them. Chapter 4 describes in detail the stock scoring matrix I developed to select stocks for my portfolio and to manage them. While it is possible to use this printed matrix to calculate a stock score. I develop software that immediately does the calculation for you. It is supplied on request to all those who purchase any of my investment books. Does the scoring system work? I have seen its benefits in the management of my own portfolio and the portfolio of others. However, I wondered what would happen if someone created a portfolio of just the 20 highest scoring stocks. So, as a test, one year ago, I took the top 20 scoring stocks from a list of the 628 highest dividend scoring stocks traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. You can see these top 20 in the stock scoring chart in my book, Safer, Better Dividend Investing, which I released at the end of 2020. For that book, I had had to score all 628 stocks. I loaded these 20 into a website called Simply Wall Street. They reported share prices and dividend payments for all 20 stocks each week for the last year. After one year, they reported that those 20 shares had generated a dividend return of 6.08%, plus a capital gain of 13.19% for a total yearly gain of 18.74%. In designing the matrix, I was aiming at an average dividend return of 6% and again in the average share price of 9%. The stock scoring system has exceeded my expectations. It works. I am not recommending that investors build portfolios of only the top 20 scoring stocks because I know that by building portfolios of lower scoring stocks, paying higher dividends, that you can achieve even better dividend returns and capital gains. What investments you choose and I would choose are not going to be the same. A stock score is an objective calculation. It allows you to make better choices. I learned while designing commercial risk scores that users of a scoring system, if they are going to rely on it to guide them in making decisions, must be able to easily understand how scores are calculated.
The following is a quick summary of how each of the scored 11 elements combined for a stock's total score. It was critical that all of these elements be easily obtainable from your investment web service or from free public websites. For more information on scoring, go to any of my investment books. Chapter 4, Element Number 1 Supply and demand determine the price that investors put on a stock. The stock market is an auction vehicle that manages the bids from potentially millions of stock buyers and sellers. A high price for a stock reflects the desire of thousands of investors to own that stock. Thus, the higher the price, the higher the score. The scoring software applies the following numerical values to a stock based on its trading price the day the score was calculated. For example, 0 to 99 cent scores 1 and over $100 scores 10. Element number two, historical price of a stock. A stock that increases continuously over many years is an indication that the stock will continue to grow. Since this scoring matrix only considers the stock at the price it was at four years ago, as you are retrieving this four-year-old price from the historical chart, take a few seconds to run your cursor back over the dividend payments for the last 20 years. You will feel much more confident with the stock if you see steady gains in the share price for a decade or more. This quick historical review of share prices and dividend payments is easy to do. In 1991, I was responsible for creating a large commercial risk database of 2,200,000 businesses. I proved then that large financially strong companies have set characters. It was possible to develop very predictive risk scoring software. I used this same approach in building the stock scoring software. It was originally created for my personal use. I was not surprised to see consistent behavior by financially strong, well-established companies. Managers of the strong companies I work for were obsessed with seeing their company's share prices go up each year. 95% of financially strong companies will not deviate from their characteristic path. The managers of such companies are the kind you want to put your faith in. I rarely make a change to my portfolio, which is made up of such companies. Sometimes you see a stock price climb for many years and shrink back to a lower value. It may be a passing aberration. At such time, the consideration of the strengths of the other 10 factors making up the grand score. When you see a downward spiral of a constant erratic share price of one year up and one year down, you may want to look for a stronger stock. In the matrix, you will see that a stock that you have to pay 0 to 99 cents scores a 1, and if it was scoring over 100, it would be a 10. 
Element number three, a stock's price trend. When a stock is much higher than it was four years ago, it may give you the confidence that the share price will continue to grow. If it is less than what the stock was four years ago, you might have some concerns about its potential for growth. With this third scoring factor, nothing needs to be entered. The program automatically compares the current share price and price four years ago in calculating its score. If the historical share price is less than the current one, the stock earns a zero score. The stock climbs from there. For example, a current price is more than 99.50% greater than the price of four years ago, it would score a 10. Element number four, a stock's book value. The book value of a stock is calculated by the company's accountants, who total the assets of the company, then subtract depreciation and liabilities. That calculated figure is divided by the number of shares outstanding. If the subsequent book value is higher than the current share price, then the stock is often considered to be a bargain. It is like getting a Mercedes for the price of a Honda. Whether book value identifies the market value of the stock is open to debate. It isn't until that company is put up for sale that you get a more realistic view of a company's true value. The value could be much higher or much lower. Something is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. Value is usually all about supply and demand at any given time. I became concerned when I see a company whose book value is a minus figure. You also find that certain industries traditionally have high or low average book values. If in doubt, look at the book value of several competitors and see how their book value compares. The score is measuring the dollar amount of the book value. In the charts, 0 to 99 cents scores would be a 1. Over $100, the score would be 10. Element number 5. A comparison of book value to current price. The comparison between book value and current share price is another calculation automatically done by the stock scoring software. A book value close to or higher than the current price is a positive sign that the share price has the potential to rise. In the criteria, a current price is less than the book value by more than 49.49% would score a 10. A current price is 49.50% greater than the book value would equal zero. Element number six, number of investment analysts rating the stock a buy. Some stocks will capture the attention of analysts from the major banks and brokerage companies. For these stocks, they will make projections as to whether they think a share price is headed up or down. 
They will summarize the projections with one of the following four tags. Buy, strong buy, hold, and sell. No one can accurately predict future share prices. These recommendations are calculated guesses, but they do influence some investors to buy a stock. What the subscore is tracking is how much influence their recommendations might have on the share price. Most of the subscores are measured out of 10. However, the buy subscore is only measured out of 5. The lower limit is partly out of my concern about rumors that some analysts could be manipulated by their employers to rate a company a buy. It could be in the bank's best interest that a client's stock increase in price. A corporation could be made very happy by the bank if their share price increase because of a bank analyst's buy recommendation. As well, if shares of a large debtor were being used as collateral securing a large loan, would it not be to the bank's advantage to influence an increase in that debtor's share price? I've also noticed that while buy recommendations are not uncommon, you will rarely see an analyst give a company a sell recommendation. It seems a company must almost be bankrupt before it gets a sell recommendation. Therefore, in calculating the score, a zero analyst reporting would equal a score of zero. Five or more analysts reporting would equal five. Element number seven. The number of investment analysts rating the stock a strong buy. I had to come up with the definition of what a strong buy recommendation was after the data source I used changed how they reported strong buys. Previously, I just accepted their classification of a strong buy. Now, a strong buy occurs when an analyst projects a future share price 50% higher than the current share price. Strong buy recommendations are rare, but they do occur, and they do encourage some investors to buy the stock. Like the buy ratings, the most a strong buy rating can register is a 5. Any analyst going out on a limb by predicting a 50% share price increase has its credibility on the line. This is worth considering in your scoring for the few extra points the stock might earn. If no analysts are reporting a strong buy, then the score would be zero. If five or more analysts are reporting, the score would be five. Element number eight, a stock's dividend yield percent. What a company pays out in dividends has nothing to do with share price. The two are only remotely connected. Share prices are determined by speculators bidding on stocks. Dividends are derived from profits, which are not controlled by speculators. Profits are controlled by skilled, experienced managers of a company. 
Therefore, when you see a $50 stock that was paying a dividend of $2.50 or 5% drop down to $20 a share, the $2.50 dividend does not automatically change. The only thing that changes is the dividend percent, which is just a calculated number. The percent would mathematically increase to 12.5%. When a company pays a dividend, it is an indication that it has surplus funds to weather a downturn in the economy. However, the total score for a business is the deciding factor, not the dividend payout alone. You will see in Chapter 8 that companies paying dividends of 10% or more often score poorly. When you investigate further, you may find that the high dividend was a one-time thing, perhaps used as a way for the major shareholders to get their money out of the company, teetering on the edge of insolvency. In such cases, the operating margins and book values of the companies are often close to zero. When you see dividends that appear to be too high, you must wonder if the management see little benefit in reinvesting their profits in the company. Traditionally, many financially strong companies pay 40% of their operating margin in dividends and use the other 60% to maintain the company and to strengthen it. Thus, be wary of too high a dividend combined with low operating margins, low book values, and other weaknesses. Be especially wary if the company with a low operating margin is borrowing money to maintain their dividend payouts. This is sometimes done to stop share prices from dropping. The sweet spot in high dividend investing is a stock paying a dividend between 6% and 9%. I find the negative response I get from investors and blue chip stocks about dividend stocks. They claim that a company cannot possibly be financially strong and pay a 6% dividend. The blue chip stocks they invest in often have a share price exceeding $100 and rarely, if ever, pay a dividend greater than 2%. By necessity, this turns them into buy low, sell high speculators because trying to survive on a 2% dividend when inflation has averaged 3.5% or more for over the last 100 years is a losing proposition. I point out to these doubters that there are many financially strong small capital stocks paying 6% or more appearing in the charts that follow. You will notice in this matrix that once the stock exceeds a 10.50 dividend, it only rates a score of 2. This reflects the reality of the risk. In In this chart for the dividends, If no dividend is paid, there would be a score of zero. If 7.50% to 10.49% dividend were paid, there would be a score of 10. Element number nine, a stock's operating margin.
When all expenses are subtracted from a corporation's revenues, whatever is left is your operating margin. The chief executive could request the company's board of directors to approve investing profits in new equipment and acquisitions to make the corporation more profitable. It could be kept in reserve for downturns in the economy, or a portion could be paid out in dividends to the company's shareholders. Many financially strong companies consistently pay out about 40% of their operating margins in dividends. Several real estate investment trusts and other companies set up to collect royalties will often have operating margins of more than 80%. They will be paying high dividends. The only drawback is that many of their share prices do not normally rise significantly from one year to the next. However, since our objective is both income and capital gain, it pays to have some of these high, steady dividend producers in your portfolio. You will run across companies who have negative operating margins. They are not making a profit. A company exists to make a profit. One that cannot make profits may have a limited lifespan as it depletes its assets in a bid to survive. I like to own companies with an operating margin of at least 20%, while recognizing that in some industries, few companies will have an operating margin above 10%. There are some industries I avoid, especially those in natural resources whose fortunes rise and fall on the whims of world markets. The availability of their product seems to range between a shortage of supply, which drives prices up for a short time, until oversupply drives prices down for extended periods. These downturns weed out the weak companies, which causes a shortage of supply and price rise again. In scoring operating margin, a margin of less than 1.49% equals zero, and a margin of 79.50 would equal a 10. Element number 10, number of the stock shares traded daily. It can be difficult to both buy and sell a stock that trades only a few thousand shares a day. Such stocks are ignored by analysts because few speculators are interested in them. Speculators control share prices. Investors see little potential for such thinly traded stocks to increase their share prices. Low trading stocks can have dramatic increases and drops in their share price because so few stocks are available to buy. The few interested in buying them must keep increasing their bid price to get the price high enough for those holding the stocks to sell them. Some stocks can have zero trades in a day or only a few hundred. Most preferred shares trade at such low volumes that I avoid them. After scoring hundreds of preferred shares, I found that only one in a hundred might show a share price gain. Almost all are well below the $25 price that they were issued at. 
This means while you may make a few dollars on their dividend, you lose more on the share value. Therefore, preferred shares were excluded from the charts in this book. Higher price stocks that trade millions of shares in a day rarely show dramatic price fluctuations. They are established companies who are considered to have potential for much higher share prices or they would not have been bid up to their present level. In this subscoring section, fewer than 10,000 shares being traded would equal zero and over 2 million shares would equal a 10. Element number 11, a stock's price-to-earnings ratio. To me, the price-to-earnings ratio indicates how many years it would take to recover from a company's earnings that the price I paid for a stock. The lower the number, the less time it would take to recover my investment. Of course, the company must have earnings. Otherwise, it would have an unattractive zero price-to-earnings ratio. Usually, a price-to-earnings ratio below 20 is considered good. It is not unusual to see a hot, in-demand speculative stock where the price-to-earnings ratios in the hundreds, even thousands. In such cases, the concern is that these prices cannot be maintained and the frenzy that drove the stock price so high or bring it crashing down the first time their potential looks questionable. Such very high price-to-earning ratios are difficult to maintain and are usually propped up by speculators who think the gravy train is going to chug on forever. You will sometimes see negative price-to-earnings ratios. This indicates the company has no earnings and is incurring losses. Companies who are not realizing earnings may not be long for this world if they cannot solve their earning problem. In this scoring section, a zero or a minus figure for the price to earnings would equal zero, and if it was 100 times or more, it would equal one. The sweet spot would be from a ratio of zero one to 5.49, which would equal 10. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.